If you weren't here last week, the folks here last week were privileged to hear me sing, Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord. It's humbling. Yeah, that's good. To be uh, hobbling around with a broken ankle. So you can pray for my... uh, for my healing here. We're going to begin with uh, Nadia is going to come up and tell us a couple of things that are going on this summer. Nadia, can you come up? I'm just going to stay up here with you if, I'm, if you'll let me. <laughs> can you use that? Hi. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Uh, so it's always exciting to talk about the fellowship dinners and to talk about fellowship in general. Um, I kind of want to start with just a scripture real quick. Uh, if you want to read along, you can. It's First John 1, 7, and 8. It's, um, actually, I'm sorry, it's 6 and 7. Uh, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the Bible has a lot to say about fellowship, and... Um, just personally, God has really put a burden on my heart for fellowship. I'll be very brief, but uh, when I was first, I first became a Christian, um, really what I believe strengthened my walk and my faith was fellowship. So walking more closely with others, um, not shying away, not kind of going off in a corner. But So whenever I, I find myself, it's been like a few weeks where I'm, I'm not spending time with the family of God, something feels off or, or just I don't feel full. And it's only until I... I get into the fellowship where I'm just like, whoa, I was missing out on all this. This is like great. I was able to, someone ministered to me. I was able to minister to someone else. And I just find the, the Holy Spirit is so full. And um, there's really no limit to that. So a couple things coming up this summer, ways and opportunities to get together with the body. I know Matt mentioned the picnic. I really want to encourage you all to come out to that. Uh, it's a really amazing time. Games, there's food, there's baptisms. Um, it's just a really good time. Uh, if you can't drive or for whatever reason, don't let that discourage you. There's plenty of people that are willing to carpool. So um, I'll volunteer. You know, just you have my information. It's in the bulletin. I'll be going. So um, there's a sign up for that in the back table as well. So uh, and then for the fellowship dinners. So just something really quick about that, how that works. Um, We gather in the home of, um, just we gather in one another's homes, and we break bread, we have games. I try to make new games every single dinner so they're not boring. So, And they're competitive and fun, and uh, people seem to really have a good time. There's a time of devotion, a, a short time in the Word, and um, just kind of getting to know one another. After church, there is a fellowship time in the food court and then right after the service, but sometimes it can feel busy or hard to get to know people on a, on a deeper level. Uh, so it's usually from 5.30 to 8. And um, we're actually, I want to invite up <laughs> Abimbola. He's hosting next in Jamaica Plain. If you can quickly come up. Uh, so Abimbola. <laughs> and so you're you're hosting next. I'm excited you're hosting. Um, tell us what what fellowship means to you. Um, okay, so the first time I came to church, one of the things that struck me is 
um, the emphasis of fellowship, how people, you know, interacted together. Mm-hmm. Um, before then, I'm the kind of guy that just breezes into church, you know, breezes out because I'm always busy. I mean, I was in a church for three years and only made one friend. So I felt <laughs> this is the opportunity to, you know, get involved. So I went to the first um, fellowship dinner, and that's where I met Dave, and David and Dave, Christina and Rick, and I met you. Mm-hmm. I met Lisanne, and it was a wonderful time. You know, we played games. It was fun, and afterwards, me and Rick would joke about, you know, the game, and I felt it was an enriching experience. And with my experience, too, on the soccer team, you know, we shared the world, watched our fellowship on and off, you know, mm-hmm. after game on, on the soccer pitch. It was a wonderful time. And, you know, driving back with Dave, too, we talk, a lot, talk about a lot of stuff. You know, Corey, when another step up, you know, mm-hmm. our spirit man and my day-to-day activities, some of those mm-hmm. things come to my memory. Mm-hmm. And it kind of helped me a lot. So I felt, no, this is a wonderful time to, yeah. to exploit and place value on. So I welcome everybody to come around and have a nice time. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, so sign up in the back if you can make it. There's one on the 18th. It's coming up. And um, there's some of these. There's like 10 of these. I made copies if you want to plug the dates into your calendar. If you have kids or your family, everyone's welcome. Um, You may find a bank statement on the back of one of them because I use recycled paper, so just ignore that. And then also there's one more really important point. Um, these dinners are open to all. You can bring a friend, but be transparent about what is this and who's gathering and why, because if someone comes and they think it's just a party and then they're surprised, like, why are people, like, praying? So <laughs> I think it's loving to let people know what this dinner's about, and you can take one of these and use it to explain. So, all right, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Na- thank you, Nadia. We're going to be, uh, I guess those are going to be alternating Saturdays and Wednesdays uh, this summer, so keep your eye out for that. Also want to um, emphasize as well the picnic this Saturday. We are having baptisms there. If you have never been baptized, the Bible, the Word of God, actually commands that you are baptized after inviting Jesus into your heart. Now, I was baptized as an infant, but the, the Bible actually speaks about um, throughout the book of Acts that, that baptism really is something that's done after the salvation experience where you tell the Lord, a child or a, a man or a woman tells the Lord, look, I have been living my whole life with me Myself and I on the throne of my heart. But Jesus, I want you to get on the throne. The Bible says after that point. In fact, it's really convicting me in the book of Acts, the baptisms occur immediately after uh, that, that prayer of faith. We're uh, asking Jesus, and if you've never been baptized, please uh, talk with me after the service. It's not too late um, at all. In fact, we've had people be baptized right there on the spot. We're out there in a pond there. The, the church picnic is in Hopkinton, which is uh, west of the city. And we've had people uh, just decide to be baptized right there, then and there. And uh, actually, you see that kind of thing in the Bible, that very kind of thing, just people instantly being baptized. Don't have to go through a six- or seven-week course on the meaning of baptize, baptism to be baptized. So 
Um, and then it's just uh, come and see uh, your, your uh, brothers and s- sisters. It's an important, very important occasion in their lives to come and be with them during that. So we are going through First John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If we could, uh, if you could stand for the reading of God's word, raise your hands. If you need a Bible, we are in chapter three. We will be in verse eleven. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Calvary Chapel, we like not only to hear. The the Word of God, but see it. There's something that happens when we read the Word of God. It just is, it makes an impression on our, on our souls, and that's what we want. Verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3 says this, For this is the message that, I, that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning... Teach us about love, Lord. So often, every day, Lord, there are voices out in the world describing love, using the word love, acting out a version of love that really is so foreign to the word of God, so different than what you teach us. Teach us love, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the subject of love is just a really, really big deal in the Bible, the word love. Or an equivalent is mentioned probably about a thousand times or more in the Bible, and no one talks or uses the word love more than John. In fact, in this letter alone, 50 times love or a variation of it. Oh, how God wants us to learn about love. 
1 Timothy 1.5 says this, the very purpose of the word of God, the very purpose of the Bible is so that you would love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, we're nothing. Let's get those words in, in front of us. Do we have those? Thank you. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through th- 3, actually. Yeah, this is verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Ever hear a clanging cymbal? Clang, 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 clang. Have you ever heard that? You know, just that's what it's, that's what someone's like. That's what a Christian is like who they want to talk a lot about God, but there's no love in their life. They're like a clanging cymbal. Like, get away from me, please. We'll move on. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. That's a pretty strong statement, I would say. And though I bestow, that means give, though I give all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Without love, we're nothing. One suggestion I have for a man or woman who is a uh, becomes a Christian is to forget everything that they have ever been taught about love. Unlearn it. It's time to be deprogrammed. A new Christian coming out of the world and into a relationship with Christ needs to be deprogrammed. Love is not supremely a sentimental thing. It is not supremely a sexual thing. It's not supremely a feeling. Love is this. The Bible teaches that love is this. The Son of God dying on a cross. It is Jesus being beaten beyond recognition having his clothes ripped off, his body placed on a wooden beam, an iron stake driven through his right hand into the wooden beam, an iron stake driven through his uh, left hand into the wooden beam, and an iron stake driven through uh, through his feet into the wooden beam. A cross. When the Bible teaches about love, it teaches about the cross. All teaching about love in the Bible proceeds or it comes from the cross and it leads to the cross. You guys have heard the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three but one. A mystery will never understand it. That's who God is. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct personalities, yet they're one. I don't get it. If God could be figured out, 
you wouldn't be worth worshiping, right? But when the Bible describes the love of the Father, when it describes the love of the Father, it describes the cross. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Jesus, the son, describes love, he describes the cross. Jesus himself in John uh, 15, verse 13, says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He's talking about the cross there. Now, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says in John 16, will teach us all things, The Holy Spirit teaches that love is about the cross. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Yes, Jesus loves you by giving you a family. Giving you a house to live in. Giving you friends. Giving you food on the table. Giving you a job. Giving you a spouse. Giving you children. Yes, he loves you by planting you in this garden called the world. Blessing you with blue sky, with the sun, the rain, mountains, hills, beaches, the waves, the wind, rivers, oceans, forests, jungles, rainbows, the moon, the stars. Did you know that if somehow you could go to another planet, if somehow you could figure out whether to go to another planet in the universe, you could not look up and observe the stars and the plants around you as you can on planet Earth. Go see the movie, The Privileged Planet. Great movie. Why is that? Because God loves you. He put you on this planet and positioned it with a certain amount of distance from the sun and gravity and this type of thing so that you can look up and be blown away by what you see because he loves you. He loves you by blessing you with with whatever animal life. Horses, elephants, rhinos, giraffes, or, or, orangutans, polar bears, sloths. Sloths, anyone? <laughs> Pigeons, parrots, porcupines. And even the cat in your house. He loves me by not putting a cat in my house, but that's another story. But God loves you by giving you the joy of smiles from children and others in your life. Laughter from others. A gentle touch, a deep conversation, the quiet company from others. God loves you by giving you good food. Strawberries and bananas dipped in dark chocolate. That's how God loves me. And 10,000 other things. But let me tell you, it began and begins with the cross. Revelation 13.8 says this. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Everything that he's given you, that you enjoy because he loves you proceeds from that, from before the foundation of the world. That's a mystery too. I don't get that. But before any creation was here or anything was created, Jesus was slain because he loved you.
Jesus loved you by dying for you on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says this. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice Paul doesn't say I live by, um, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me the most incredible bar mitzvah party. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say he, uh, who loved me and gave me a, a house, a job, a, a family. Not that God doesn't love someone by giving them an incredible bar mitzvah party. He does, but love begins with Jesus dying for you, dying for the world. That's how love begins. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, verse 11 of John is where we began. Let's read it. John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Well, if we're going to obey that verse, we need to first understand what love is. It's really interesting to me, by the way, as I read these verses that both love and hate result in a death. Look at the next verse, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. He didn't like the fact that his, his brother was a righteous guy, so he killed him. Verse 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hating someone is the equivalent of murder, the Bible says. But, where it, but love has the same result. Isn't that interesting? Both hate and love, they result in death. And, in, and when it says in verse 11, end of verse 11, we, well, it, it, the verse actually, let me just read again, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Supremely, that's talking about the kind of, of love that dies for another. Love is the son of God dying on a cross. We can't love one another unless we understand that, that love is the Son of God dying on the cross. Again, verse 11, it says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. Now, what does that mean, from the beginning? This is the message from the beginning. He is referring there to Jesus' statement on the night before he was... Uh, was crucified 50 years earlier from the writing of this letter, letter Jesus told um, John and the other apostles on the night before he was crucified, he told them this. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Note that it says, as I love you. He's preparing them to know how to love. As I loved you. How did he love them? Anyone? Shout it out. He died for them. 
it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. He's referring to his death. He's just about to die at this point. The commandment to love was not a new command. That was an old command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, that's as old as the Old Testament. But the new command was to love each other as I have loved you, and that means dying. So 50 years later, after Jesus makes that statement, um, here John is writing in verse 11, um, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Jesus gave this to us, and I've been telling you this for 50 years, that we should love one another. Now skip down to verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So again, John is saying, you've been hearing this from the beginning, to love one another. And that's what Jesus had taught them, and that's what John is telling them over and over again. From the beginning of this letter to the end, it says you need to love each other. He's speaking, in this particular letter, he's speaking mostly about love between Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that we don't love others, but the new command that Jesus gave in John chapter 13, the command that is referred to here in 1 John 3, 11, is love one another. Now, why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Why is it such a big deal to him? The reason is this, because as you lay your life down for your brothers, the world around you will get to see a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And remember, that's where love began. It began with Jesus dying on the cross. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all want the whole world to see through you, through you, the dying of the Lord Jesus. And you do that by loving one another. When you lay down your, yourselves, your lives down for your brother or sister, they're seeing a picture of the cross. John 13, 13, 35, Jesus says this, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will discover and be able to see the gospel story, the dying of the Lord Jesus by you loving one another. Now, strangely, when we in the church talk about this definition of love, that it means dying for your brother or sisters, many, many Christians lull themselves to sleep with a false security that they're all set because they're doing that. They're all good with that. 
They're all good with that definition. Yeah, man, uh, if it came down to dying for my brother's sister, I would totally do that. And, you know, whatever. If a terrorist came into the room and, and, and my brothers and sisters in Christ were there for me, uh, were there with me, rather, and the terrorist said, okay, one of you has to die, I'd gladly step forward. And they lull themselves into a false security that they're all set with the loving thing. You know, that, but, and that's good. That's good. That's good that you'd step in front of a terrorist and take a bullet for your brother and sister in, in Christ. That's great. But what if your brother in Christ called you and asked you to take care of his kids for a night so he could spend some time with his wife? How about that kind of death? Are you willing to die that death? Now, wait a second. Now you're getting and you're starting to meddle into my life a little. Now, come on now. What if your sister called and asked you to cook meals for her and deliver them to her house each night for the next couple weeks because she just had a baby? Would you do that? I'm amazed at how many shrink back at these requests. What if you got a call from Pastor Steve to visit a brother in Christ who you've never met before, who's been flown in from another state to one of these hospitals, this happens on a regular basis at our church, who doesn't know anyone in the area. And Pastor Steve wants you to go be with him. Would you do that? Would you let that brother's wife stay in your house while her husband was in the hospital? Would you do that? If his wife, who you do not know, was flying into Boston at 6 a.m., would you go to the airport and pick her up? Why am I asking all these questions? Because that's what laying down your life for your brother or sister means. That's what John specifically says it means. And don't believe me. Let's believe his word. Let's read it. Verse 16 says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, in 17 and 18, he divine, defines what it means to lay your life down for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, now goods means time. It means, obviously, it means money. It means energy, this world's goods. And sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him? Answer, it doesn't. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, in verse 16, John says we should love each other in church by laying down our lives, dying, and then he defines what it is. And it's all that stuff 
that's behind the scenes that no one knows about that our flesh hates. John Bunyan said this. You don't want to mess with John Bunyan, by the way. I mean, you don't want to mess with Jesus, the Apostle Paul, or John Bunyan. Just read about his life if you don't believe me. Practical love is best. Many love Christ with nothing but the lick of a tongue. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love everybody. Here's one by C.S. Lewis, tops it off. Loving everybody is, in general is an excuse for loving nobody in particular. <laughs> See, we wag our tongues about. We wag our tongues. Oh, yeah, love, 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 love. We have some in our own church who are bedridden and haven't been visited in weeks. And I'm, I'm not saying this to, to make anyone feel guilty. I speak to my own heart as well. And, you know, going and visiting someone who is, who, who is bedridden, it never comes at a good time. I mean, why can't someone call me and, and ask me, uh, why, can't, why can't all you people have babies when it's good time for me? That's what I want to know. You have babies, why don't you have them in my free time? It's not, it never comes like that. You have babies and it's at the worst possible time. And the Lord says, okay, you know you're going to go visit them. Oh, yes, I do know. Loving everybody in general is an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Ouch, CS. Don't do that to me, CS. You know, from time to time you hear a church described as a loving church. Oh, that church is such a loving church. What they usually mean by that is when you go to the church, people are really friendly and warm and welcoming. But that's not what a loving church is. A loving church is a church where people die daily for each other. I remember one of the men's breakfasts a couple of years ago, Pastor Scott Mitchell from Rockland, uh, was speaking at the breakfast on the subject of loving your wife. And one of the men at the breakfast raised his hand and mentioned that he and his wife actually put in their wedding vows a statement to the effect, God, I would rather you strike me dead than commit adultery against my spouse. That was his wedding vow on his wedding day. Great idea. I wish I had that idea. I mean, it sounds really cool. But I really liked how Pastor Scott Mitchell, his response was, look, I, I appreciate that. I, I get what you're saying. But um, what about loving your wife enough to serve her every single day? What about loving your wife enough to listen to her when she wants to be heard? What about forgiving your wife? What about actively seeking out and praying about what blesses her and doing that thing? A lot. What about complimenting her? What about cooking for her? What about helping with the kids? What about having patience with her? What about speaking softly? See, we love to get, get ourselves in a fa false sense of security. Oh, I die for my wife. Ooh, flex my muscle. Ooh, you're all in plastic. I've been doing those, those uh, crutches, man. My, my biceps are growing. But, but um, um, any, anyway, supremely, although my wife says she likes that part of me as well, my biceps. <laughs> That's what she says. 
That's what she says. I, I, I don't know. It, it, she may be in sin. She may be lying. But, but, um, but, but supremely, though, the way I love my wife is serving her and blessing her every day. Every day at whatever hour. That's, that's how I love her. I, I, I have not perfected that, I promise you. I'm not speaking to you here as a perfect husband. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I, I memorized this um, as a very young Christian, is 2 Corinthians 4, 11, and 12. It says this. It says, we always carry around in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Let me just pause here. I mean, what kind of weirdness is that? Exactly what we're talking about. Exactly what we're talking about. It's dying every day. But Jesus says, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What, where, does, where do we follow Jesus to? Calvary, the cross, dying every day. And by the way, in Luke, when he says that, he's ta- he's, unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me, it's every day. God forbid that we, our faith in Christ or our religion, it, it, that Jesus does all the dying. You know, I know about churches like that. You, you walk in and, you know, there's a, a Jesus hanging on a crucifix. They walk out. Jesus does all the dying. But n- the men and women and the children of the church, they're not doing any dying themselves. That's not the church of the New Testament or the Old Testament or the Bible. It says, we always carrying around in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And then just in case they didn't understand that. The very next verse says this. It says that the life of Jesus also may be manifest, made known in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. When death, when the dying of the Lord Jesus, when death is at work in you, life will sprout up in the people around you, believer or unbeliever or whoever. Jesus said, by this all will know that you're my disciples by loving one another, by dying for one another. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the cross. You know, I remember when we got involved with Haiti uh, now eight or nine years ago, and and, uh, we went down there um, right as the church began. We actually began supporting the church before it even started, and and I went down there with Pastor Serge, um, and immediately we started talking about an, an orphanage. And, you know, orphanages, they are just the most wonderful thing to think about. I mean, going somewhere, and there's cuddly little kids, and you squeeze them. It's like, oh, they don't have a mother and father, so they love me so much. And they really are. They're very... They're very clingy, and and um, and it just sounds like such a wonderful idea, but that's all a feeling. Because let me tell you, after we started the orphanage and we started going down there, me personally, actually two or three times a year, it, it stopped feeling good. And and when you've been around twelve boys for twelve hours, you are done. You are exhausted. And I just sort of 
jump on a plane and go back to the States and the others who come down with me. But guess what? There's people who are there every day getting crushed. And in that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he, chapter 4, verse 11, where he says, I carry around in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that's right after him saying, I've been persecuted, I've been crushed, I've been hard-pressed. I carry around in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. I want to close by skipping down to verse 23 and 24, where he sums up what he's just said. And he said, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Verse 24, now he who keeps his commandment abides in him. That word abide means lives. You live with Jesus and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You can only love by the Spirit. Any other way is impossible. You will, be, you will be burnt out and thrown out in the side of the road like a wet rag if you try loving like this without depending upon the Holy Spirit. I want to close now. I want to have the worship team uh, come up and we're going to close and if you've been asked to pray you can please come up as well and when we close our services we just we do have a time of prayer and worship and what I'd like to 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 just open it up for for prayer today is is this If you are becoming burnt out and you feel like a, a wet rag, or maybe you are that wet rag by the side of the road. In fact, you're not wet anymore. You're dried up. You're a dried up rag. And you need to be strengthened because you know you've been called to do this thing that is burning you out. You know that. You know Jesus has called you to do it. He's called you to die. The Bible says we always carrying around in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that his life would be manifest in our mortal flesh. But you know that, but it's just become too much. Come up. I'll be up here. Others will be up here. There'll be a number of prayer couples coming up to pray with you. If you would just like prayer for that. The Bible says that we can be asked to be, have a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. And, it's, it, and he gave us that promise. Why? So that would, we would be witnesses of Christ. We'd be examples of Christ in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Meaning just living out 
what Jesus did for us. What did he do for us? He washed our feet. That takes dying for the Son of God to bend down, remove his outer garments, and wash the dirty feet of a bunch of disciples who, by the way, when he did that, had just been arguing with one another about who should be the greatest. In in other words, he was washing people's feet who were not grateful at all. Some of you are serving people who don't care that you're serving them, but that's what Jesus has called you to do. And you don't stop just because they don't care. But you need the Holy Spirit. And when people see you serving like that, they will see the picture of Christ on the cross. But not only that, a picture of his resurrection power. So the worship team's going uh, to begin. And we'll be up here to pray with you. If you could just rise um, for the closing worship song. And... Um, and uh, worship together with them. And if you need prayer, please come up. But I'm going to close in prayer, and then, and then the worship team will begin. Father, we thank you for this, for this message. And we think back um, to the cross, Lord. You know, I, I give a message like this, Lord, and my fear is that people start thinking about themselves and what they haven't done or what they could be doing. And Lord Jesus, we're told never to do that, but to keep our eyes fixed on you. Keep our eyes on the cross, and even better so, keep our eyes on the cross that is empty, that you were taken down, you rose from the dead, you, 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 you ascended into heaven to pour out new life on us, and we thank you for that. Fix our eyes on you, Lord. That's what needs to happen, Lord, if we're going to serve like you. We're weak, but we are told in your word that our greatest point of weakness is also the greatest opportunity for strength in our life. I pray that you would do that work through us and in us, Lord, this week. But Lord, I just pray now um, to do a work in us as we close out the service with worship and prayer. In Jesus' name.